0: Well, it's so good to see everyone. I am excited to be with you today. We're on week eight of our uh, series, You Are Here, and we're in the fourth week of our miniature series within our big series. (laughs) That doesn't sound like a mini-series to me, but we're in it, okay? So the series we're in today is The House That God Built, and we're just talking about preparing for our legacy offering. What does the house of God look like? What is God building his church to be? Right? So as we get into it today, I just wanna encourage those of you in the room who maybe are here for the first time and you haven't even said yes to Jesus yet, some of this you're gonna be like, whoa, way over my head. But guess what? You're not here on accident, so just take a deep breath, lean in and see what God would have to say to you. As well, those of you who are here and you've been in church for a very long time, I think God has a word for you as well today. So let's just lean into that and believe that he's gonna speak to all of us, amen? All right, let's quickly pray before we jump into the word. Father, we just thank you for this time, God. Lord, we lay down all of our um, all of our personal desires and needs right now, Lord, and we just lean into your word, God. We ask that you would speak, Lord. Would you speak right through me, Lord God? Would I be out of the way and you just interrupt our world today, God? We just thank you for your word, Lord. It is true. It is amazing, incredible. It is everything we need, Lord. So we just lean into it today and thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. All right, have you ever walked into someone's house and kind of maybe you knew them a little bit ahead of time, you're getting to know them, and you just had this expectation of what their house would look like, and then it kind of surprised you? Has anyone done that before? Maybe you hung out with me and you thought, man, she's super cool. And then in 2020, uh, you came to my house and I thought chickens would be a fun idea because I thought maybe the world's ending, we might need chickens for food. And so you came to my house and you're like, wait, what, you have chickens? Why do you have chickens? So you're a little shock and awe. Anybody have those moments where you go into someone's house and you're like, this is not what I expected. Like, I thought you were like modern, and it was going to look like this, and it's all rusty and rustic and like farm stuff everywhere, and I'm confused. Right? Anybody done that? Okay. so when I was young, I was probably like, fourth, fifth grade, and I had a friend whose house I walked into, and this is pre-hoarders, but she, they, they would have probably been on hoarders, and it is no offense or no judgment to them. It just was not my expectation. Like my, my house, we had a place to sit and eat dinner. Their house, the dinner table was full of things, and I was like, this is not what I expected. Like I said, no judgment on them, just not what I expected. Sometimes my house looks like that. It happens. Sometimes the dinner table's not available. All the paper is there. All the junk mail. All the artwork from school is sitting on my table. But the thing is, is that is the reality of the church. People encounter the church by walking through the four doors or by encountering you as a Christ follower. And they expect a certain thing. Even people who don't know Jesus, they expect a certain thing when they encounter someone who knows Jesus. They expect Kindness right? They expect, if they walk into the church, maybe hot coffee. Can't guarantee that's going to happen. No, but they expect a certain kind of vibe, a certain kind of reaction to them, a certain kind of confidence, a certain kind of joy. There's an expectation when people encounter the church. When people walk in here, there's an expectation. There's an expectation that they're going to be greeted because we're a friendly church. Right There's an expectation that worship's probably gonna be loud because we're a loud church. There's an expectation. But the reality is that God has an expectation for his people. He has an expectation for his church. Right? So we come into the church and we expect certain things. We encounter someone from the local church, from the body of Christ, and we expect certain things. These expectations are inherent within us because if we know God at all, we know His nature and character. So we have an expectation of the people of God that we encounter. In the Bible, we would see many places where this was so important for the church body to come together and be unified. And in their unification, we would see great things happen throughout the people around them. So the first place we're going to see that is in Joshua 6. Joshua is going into, is into the promised land with Israel. He's bringing them all into the promised land. The first place they end up is Jericho. Jericho is a fortified city. You cannot get in, and if they don't want you out, you can't get out either. Okay, so there, he, he's going to this fortified city, and God's like, okay, hey, here's how we're going to do this. God sets up the expectation for Joshua. This is what we're gonna do. You're gonna have these guys walk around the city six times. Everyone's gonna be quiet. On the seventh day, you're going to have everybody walk around the city seven times, and I'm gonna blow a trumpet, Joshua's gonna blow a trumpet, and you're all gonna yell. So we see this happen in the Bible, and through the unified voice of the people of God, the walls fall down, okay? the unified voice of the people of God. They sounded the same. Okay, the second thing, we see book of Ex- uh, the book of Esther. Esther was a Jew. She ended up being the queen. We'll keep it kind of short and simple. There's a lot of stuff that goes into that, okay? She ends up being the queen. Her people are about to be annihilated, literally taken out, wiped off of the face of the planet. And Esther calls her people, the people of God, to fast and to pray. So you all have to do this, everyone's not eating, everyone is praying. We are fasting and praying, and the people of God are rescued. That's good news, right? In their coming together, the people of God are rescued. The third thing we see is the apostles in the church of Acts 2. We always focus on the beginning of Acts. In Acts 2, where, you know, the fire comes down from heaven and, like, everyone is, like, added to the church and people can speak, like, the language and all of that. But the the thing I love is after that, the church starts meeting every single day. Every day they come together, they gather, they, they eat together, they bring their stuff together to help each other out. They look a certain way, they're acting a certain way. And the Bible goes on to say that every single day people were added to the church. I didn't say anything about them going out and preaching to people. They watched the church be a certain way, and people came to church. People came to be a part of what it was that was happening. This is the thing. When we as individuals look like Jesus, people are led to Jesus. When the church sounds like Jesus, people are led to Jesus. When the individual parts of the body are committed to the way of Jesus, people are led to Jesus. So we're gonna to go to Peter, which is where we're, um, this entire series, the big picture series you are here is founded in. First Peter 2, 11 through 12, it says this, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. Conduct yourself honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. So what is Peter saying in these verses? He's saying, hey, you're strangers here, you're exiles, that's known, people can tell, okay? You don't belong here, but you are here, so while you're here, you're gonna look a certain way, you're gonna act a certain way, you're gonna sound a certain way. I'm calling you to do that. I'm telling you to lay it down, to lay your sin down, to stop picking it up, we're gonna get into that. I'm telling you to honor God so that people will see him. I'm, taking it to, I'm telling you to take the spotlight off of you and put it onto him, okay? The body of Christ must come to an understanding that there is a certain expectation that God has of all his people and of his church, collectively, individually, okay? Here's the expectation, also found in Peter, 1 Peter 1.16, says this, "For it is written, be holy because I'm holy. So the title of my message today, for those of you patiently waiting for a title, is A Holy House. A Holy House. See this is how we build the church. We become holy. A holy body. When we say yes to Jesus, we say yes to his way of living, loving, and leading. When we say yes to Jesus, we say that we are going to be a part of a holy house. When we say yes to Jesus, we walk into light and become light. We become like him. Last week we briefly touched over 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, which says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. Okay, this is in New Testament, okay? This isn't just talking about the children of Israel back in the olden days, okay? This is New Testament reminder that you're, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're a people of his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, once you were disunified, once you were not a part of a body, but now you are. You've received mercy. So some of us might be going, oh, that all sounds really nice, but how do I become holy? Holy how? Thank you for catching on to that. Okay, let's just take a deep breath. All right, and recognize that God would not ask us to do something He didn't think we could do. Okay, so let's discuss some ways that we become holy. Now, these first two points are for the non-believer. You you might be sitting in the room. They're like, Oh, we are we are talking about you right now. We're about to talk about you. Okay, but not behind your back, like in front of you, right here. But it's for the people who maybe you've recently said yes to Jesus, or you maybe have to re-align with like, what do I believe about God? But my first point is this, we have to acknowledge, we must acknowledge our complete depravity. Okay, we're not in K-love moment right now, okay? This is just the reality, is that we are a depraved people. Depravity is the understanding that we are morally corrupt. We gotta come to that understanding. Dane Ortland, in the book Deeper would say, one reason some Christians remain shallow their whole lives, he's talking to the Christians, is they do not allow themselves to pass through the painful corridor of honesty about who they really are. I don't wanna be a shallow Christ follower. I wanna go deep. So I gotta recognize, and I do every day, how very, depraved I am, how much I need him, how desperate I am for him, to cleanse me, purify me, make me whole. So many people don't think they need Jesus, right? Because they don't recognize how much, how bad they are, how lost we are without him. Romans, though, unfortunately, would tell us that we do. Here's what it would say in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sorry, none of us are exempt. We've all done it, which also should make you feel like you're in good company, okay? Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? Ephesians 2, 1, and you are dead in your trespasses and sin. See, we think we are better than we are, but until we carry and understand the weight of our depravity, we will experience limited and superficial relationship with Christ. The depth begins in understanding our great despair and how much we really, really need him. Until that I get that I am dead without him, like Ephesians says, it literally just offended us all and called us basically zombies if we don't know him. We're dead without him in our sin. Until I get that, I won't give him all of me. See, life comes only through Jesus. And until I have life, I have nothing. I am nothing. You're welcome. Today is a day of offending. Just kidding. <laughs> Just speaking truth and reminding us, right? So as a parent, I, I'm constantly reminded of how very ugly and broken I am. Any parents in the room that you're like, oh, there was, there was fleshy Erica today again. Three seconds later, oh, she's back. Parenting quickly reminds you. Maybe there's a relationship in your world. Maybe you're not a parent, but it reminds you very quickly. Maybe you're a kid. Maybe you're a child and you have a parent. And so it reminds you very quickly of how very fleshy you are, how very impatient I am, how quick to anger I am, how uh, very unholy I am, right? It's a constant reminder to turn towards Jesus in repentance and with great grief, knowing I cannot do this without him. In acknowledging my depravity, I acknowledge that my way to him is through repentance. It's through saying, I've fallen short. It's through saying it out loud, admitting it. Acts 319, which will not be on the screen, says this, therefore repent and turn back, so that your sins may be wiped out. See, this is where he purifies. This is where forgiveness takes place. This is where I'm washed clean through his gift of the cross. Jay Nortland again, he would say, Repentance that does not turn to Jesus is not real repentance. Faith that has not first turned from self is not faith. There is a turning away from in our sin. There's a turning away from our flesh. We're going to get into that a little bit deeper. But our freedom from death begins in repentance. This ties into the second point. They go together. It is this. We must believe in the one who gives us life. Mark 1, 14 through 15 says, After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Repent and believe. Two active realities that go together in us finding and knowing Jesus. John 10.10 says, A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life in it in abundance. Abundant life. Sounds good. So life happens at conception of belief in Jesus. So conception of life happens at belief in Jesus. Our life begins when we say yes to Jesus. Yeah. Until then, we're dead. Yeah. And we're afraid of death, but we're already dead if we don't know him. Yeah. This is where you become set apart. This is where you become holy. It's in Jesus washing us clean and pure that we become holy set apart. John six twenty nine says this. Jesus replied... This is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent, which was him. Jackie Hill Perry in her book, Holier Than Thou, a book about the nature, character, and holiness of God and our response to him, says this, we must be made alive before we can be made holy. Some of us are still dead walking around trying to be holy. It's not going to work until you surrender it all to him. Until you say, okay, Jesus, I repent. I come before you. I say, I, I am Romans 8 that says, I have fallen short, I have sinned, I repent, I bring it to you, I bring all of myself to you, and I believe that the cross was good enough. I believe in the cross, I believe that you are the Lord of my life, I believe that you died for my sins, and it's in that that we can then live and become holy. Okay, I'm reminded of this song that we've sung around here a few times, and before we would sing the song, and honestly, I was kinda like, "I I don't really get it. But I feel like it helps with this point, okay? So the song called Let the Light In. It's the time, it's time for, it says this, it's time for the sleeper to wake. It's time for the old winds to change. I hear the Spirit say it's time. It's time for the dead man to rise. It's time for the great light to shine. I hear the Spirit say it's time. Open up the windows and let the light in. Let the light in, let the light in. The light must be let in. The light is the Son of God. He must be let into our hearts. He must be let in. We must understand our depravity, and we must let him in to purify us, to make us whole, to make us holy. Isn't that good news that it's not on you? You're not going to not gonna be able to make it happen for you. You're going to partner with it. It's a process that you're partnered in, but you don't have to do it all by yourself. It's good news. Second Corinthians 5:17 would say, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation." The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. See, it's immediate with Jesus. He immediately makes us new. What we're gonna just see is that sometimes we like to pick up the old again, but we'll talk about that later, okay? After we have come to believe in Jesus, the journey of us engaging our holiness, now it's our active part of it that comes into play. The third thing is this. We must behold our Father. Listen, we've been made new. In that newness, our eyes have been opened to a new way of living. The death has been shaken off of us. The blinders have been removed from our eyes. We now have a divine sight line. The veil has been broken. If we behold our Father, we will see like him and become like him. See, when my my perspective shifts, then I see a different path. I see a different way. I was watching a show last night where uh, this girl was learning to ride a horse and um, the guy said, she was like looking that way and the horse kept going that way. And he's like, why why am I going that way? I wanna go that way. He's like, because you're looking that way. You're going the way you're looking. You're you're telling your horse we're going that way and until you train your horse that we're going this way, you can't look anywhere else. And that's kind of like the reality. Our sight line has to shift We've been looking everywhere else for answers. We've been looking everywhere else for hope. We've been looking for everywhere else to heal. We've been looking everywhere else to become. And the reality is we gotta engage our Father. We have to become like him by beholding him. So we have to look at him. First John 3, five through six says, you know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins and there is no sin in him. Talking about Jesus. Everyone who remains in him Behold, everyone who remains in Him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen Him or known Him. When we know our Father, we don't remain in sin. When we know our Father, we learn what our Father loves. We do what our Father does. In remaining in Him, our holiness comes to be because we do not continue in our old life. Christ imputes righteousness to us upon believing in him. And set-apartness happens in believing in him. The becoming holy happens in community with him. D. Leclerc would say this. Human beings derive their holiness from the unique holiness of God. I am the Lord who makes you holy, Exodus 31, 13. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy, Leviticus. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I'm, I am the Lord your God. You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy. Are you getting that God is holy yet? He's holy. Scripture shows a connection between God's holiness and our holiness that must not be forgotten. Our holiness is derived from relationship with God. It's in partnership with him that we grow into our holiness. Where my eyes are on my Father, I immediately know when I'm out of alignment with my Father. Okay? Y'all were teenagers once, if you're not right now, okay? You knew when you were out of alignment with your parents' will, right? And here's the thing when our eyes are on our father and this is what we have our guide right this is what he's speaking to us this is what he's teaching us this is what he's showing us this is how we live when our eyes are on our father i can immediately know when i am in the midst of something i wasn't supposed to be in the midst of i can know immediately when sin is entangling me when i'm choosing something that's out of alignment with my father because i behold him and rarely can i stay Either beholding him, or over here in my sin, I can I can either go to my sin, or I can behold my father. And beholding my father is going to make me immediately, dear God, I repent, because I know the way of my father, because I know who he called me to be, because I know that he has an expectation of his people. He has a way that he wants us to pursue him. He has a way that he wants us to love people. He has a way that he wants us to show people. And it's in beholding him that I can easily see where my father's going and where I'm to be going. Yeah. I like to encourage people who struggle with sharing their faith that you do not now have to know every verse in the Bible. I don't, I've been a Christian since I was five years old. I don't know every verse. I basically can tell you some things are from the Bible. And other things I'm like, wait, was that on Twitter or was that in the Bible? (laughs) Sounds like a good proverb. So, you know. (laughs) But listen, when I know my God, I know the nature and character of God, I know when something's out of alignment with him. So I can share my faith, basically speaking, in any manner without a bunch of scriptures to back it up. Now, I still encourage you to read your scriptures, obviously. But... I can do that because I know who my father is. I know his nature and character, so I can immediately, because of the Holy Spirit given to us, know when I am out of alignment. Or when someone asks me a hard question, I can say, well, that doesn't sound like something my father would say. It's like if someone was to come to me and say, did you know Jason said this? I would be able to immediately decide whether he said it or not. I'd be able to say, no, he didn't say that. You know why? Because I know him, and he wouldn't say that, and if you did say that, you weren't listening to the whole thing, because there's obviously a reason he said that, right? (laughs) But if it's totally off-kilter with what he would say, because I know him, I can identify it, and that's the same with God. Some of us are literally picking up things of the world, thinking that it sounds like God, because it sounds like love, but love has been tainted by the world, so the world can't tell us how to love, the world can't show us how to love. They cannot give us love that is unbreakable and unchangeable. So we can go, well, that doesn't sound like my father's kind of love. Because guess what? Because God loves me, he disciplines me. Because God loves me, he calls me to health. He gives me boundaries and guidelines so that I can not get hurt like the green tape on this stage that tells me I'm going to fall off if I go past it. God does that because he loves me. We're hodgepodging our face together with so many ideas of the world and wondering why the power of God is not living and active in our lives, and he's like, I didn't say that. That's actually not what I said. That's not how I love. This is how I love. Actually, yes, I did get angry, and I—I I, God, God has nature and character that isn't always just love. Because he loves, we have wrath. Because he loves, we have judgment. Because he loves, we have compassion and mercy and all of the gifts that are there within God. But the reality is, is that he has a way. And when we behold him, we know the way, and we can walk in it, we can pursue it. Second Corinthians talks about going from glory to glory when we behold God. It says this in 318, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image, the same image of the mirror, which is God. We're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. I always read this verse and I'm like, okay, glory to glory. And I kind of can kind of basically identify what it is saying, like good to good, better to better, right? But I love how one commentary put it, says the true glory of man is the ideal condition in which God created man. This condition was lost in the fall and is recovered through Christ and exists as a real fact in the divine mind. The believer waits for this complete restoration. The glory of God is what he is essentially. The glory of created things, including man, is what they are meant to be by God, though not perfectly attained. So here's the thing, we will not attain this perfection, this pure holiness in this life. That's heaven bound. But there is a reality of engaging and becoming that happens when we behold. So my fourth point is this. We must choose to engage becoming. Becoming holy is not passive. It does not happen to us. We must engage it. Ephesians 4, 20 through 24 says this, but that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. To take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. So you hear that, take off, put on. That's active. The one who, one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. I was talking to a friend of mine who's coming for our tribe women's event this is just a little plug, May 20th and 21st, write it down, okay, and we'll have over 300 people there, Pastor Dave, come on boys, you better sign up for men's breakfast, <laughs> all right, so anyway, we we're talking about the verse that's kind of the overarching verse, and it's Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, which talks about laying down every hindrance and sin that so easily ensnares you, so that you can run the race, And she was talking about this being one of her favorite verses. And she said, you know, if you dig into this, this is actually this idea of stripping off. So though Jesus would give us a new life immediately upon saying yes to him, we as humanity often take a little time to walk into our new life, just like Ephesians saying. So we have to be reminded constantly to lay down, take off the old life, and put on the new life. And that takes time. That takes practice. That takes beholding. Oh, God just highlighted another thing on me that is still old. I need to take off that old shirt. Got to put on the new one. I'm a new creation, made new in Jesus. Just got to remind myself, I accidentally went and put on my old grave clothes again. The clothes I walked around when I was a dead zombie. And he's saying to put it, take it off and put on. Colossians 3 5 through 10 says this, therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now put away all the following anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self. Remember, you put off the old self, so we don't do that anymore. We don't act like that anymore. With its practices, and you've put on the new self, you're being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. You hear the image talk. The renewing is happening. The becoming holy is happening. The glory to glory is happening in the putting off the old. So this idea of putting to death is a theological word, mortification. Sounds mortifying, huh? That's a good dad joke, huh? Uh, I knew Pastor David would appreciate that. All right, mortification is this idea of putting it off, putting it to death. Say, no, no longer do I sin like that, because I behold my Father, I just put you off. I just stomp you away, like we're not going there, because I am a new creation. Now that idea isn't this berating yourself okay see sometimes we think if we beat ourselves up that we have something to contribute to the cross it was already finished on the cross you were already forgiven through repentance you already laid it all down through the cross so there's nothing you can do differently about your sin other than go to god with repentance you cannot beat yourself about it and make yourself more holy you just simply have to go to him and say, I repent, God, I noticed it again. I try to pick up my old self again. I repent, I'm putting it back down. I'm picking up my, old, my new self. There's nothing you can do except actively pursue and actively behold and actively strip off and actively put on the new. Colossians three twelve through 17. Therefore as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Remember back to the beginning, the unity of the church, the coming together. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If you just think about that last part, is everything you're doing right now, would you be able to do that unto Jesus? If the answer is no I'm have to go God search my heart make known to me the ways in me that are the old I want to do my life as unto you in everything I do Jackie Hill Perry would say this looking to Christ we too are set apart from the world and the things it delights in we're not to look the same To God we belong giving him our bodies as a living sacrifice, our mouths as his ambassadors, our feet to bring his good news. You see, when we lean into this, we will not just see our individual lives looking like Jesus, but our churches impacting like Jesus. And Peter says that when we do that, they'll observe the good works and ultimately God will be glorified. I don't want anyone looking at me too closely. I want them looking at Jesus. I realize that my purpose on this earth is not about me. There are too many dead people around me that need the hope of the cross. And it's in the church coming together and saying we are willing to put off the old life and pick up the new life. And in unity, we are willing to tear down walls all around us. We're going to commune together and people are going to see something different than they've seen ever before we're not going to be a disjointed church anymore we're not going to be a disunified church anymore we're going to come together under the bond of love through the peace of christ and we're going to demonstrate something quite different when you look at us it's going to be obvious who we glorify remember the Acts church people just started being added simply by observing the church, loving well, living well, following Jesus and taking the reflection off of them and putting it onto him. The world doesn't need more ideas and more individuality. It needs a collective shout that tears down walls and reveals the goodness and the glory of God. That starts with us. We gotta understand that we're called to live in a way that magnifies him. The world needs a holy, potent house. The world needs to be able to encounter the church and see exactly what their father asks of them. They need to be able to walk up to a Christ follower in desperation and receive love and kindness and truth in their confusion. That's the kind of church we're building at The Well. Is that good? Let's go ahead and stand. I want to pray. So I just want to pray for all of us today. So if you just, right now we're going to be bold. We're going to all lift our hands and just ask God to be in the middle of this. But right now, too, I just want to encourage you to check your hearts and go, God, what's in me that's blocking me from demonstrating you in the world around me. Lord Jesus, right now, just lift up every person in this room, Lord God. Lord, that today we would be reminded, Lord, that there's a way that you ask us to live that leads people to you, God. And I just pray right now for the Holy Spirit to just convict our hearts, Lord, in ways that maybe we are actually pointing people away from you, God. Lord, and we just pray that we would lay down the old life. We would stop picking it up, and we put on the new life that is in and through you, Jesus. You can go ahead and lay your hands down, but keep your eyes closed. We're gonna pray for those in the room who maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. Today is your day. It's like that song where it says, the Spirit's speaking. The Spirit's awakening you. And I just wanna encourage you that today your day could be completely different, you can become free, you can become alive in and through Jesus Christ. So we're gonna pray this prayer all together. Repeat after me, Jesus. I surrender, you, I surrender my life to you. I accept you as my savior. Knowing without you, this life has little purpose. Knowing with you, I have everything. I repent of my sins. I ask for forgiveness. I thank you for redeeming me and making me new. In Jesus' name, if you'll just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for one minute, we just wanna celebrate those who've said yes to Jesus today. So really quickly, if you said, yeah, I'm saying yes to Jesus, I'm making him my Lord and Savior, would you quickly lift your hand and just let us know that you're here and you're saying yes to Jesus. We have some over here, that's amazing. Congratulations, we have several over here awesome if you just be bold and say today is my day i'm picking up my new life in and through christ just raise your hand quickly awesome well can we lift our heads and open our eyes to celebrate those who've said yes to jesus well we want to quickly before we all leave we want to walk this journey out with you so make sure today if you said yes to jesus for the first time that you grab a bible and you grab an I Said Yes book at our Next Step table. Some of our team is leaving right now, so if you're all watching where people are going, they're just going to help you. Um, but grab, go out to our Next Step table and grab a Bible and I Said Yes book and start this journey of faith with us so we can do it alongside of you. But we're so excited for you as well. Today, maybe you were like, gosh, I really need to dig into my heart a little bit. I wanna encourage you, there's communion in the back on both sides. So maybe take a minute to just sit and pray and ask God to search your heart and see what he'd say to you today. But we love you all. We hope you have a great week. We'll see you next weekend for week five of the house that God built.